Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. In chapter 30 of the book of Genesis, we had a battle of wits play out before us between Jacob and Laban. And while at first blush, we would say Jacob dealt underhandedly with Laban, we realized through our study in the last couple of programs that quite the opposite was true. He was forthright. He was honest with integrity. Well, as we close out that look, we see Jacob and his children and his wives on their way. They're finally leaving Laban. Not before there's some final moments with Laban, as he will accuse them once again of some idol worship and taking of household idols. For more, here's Pastor Layton on today's study verse by verse. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, Here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flocks are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now, the fact of the matter is that not all of the actual animals that mated were solid in, in, or, or, or speckled. That Some of them were, were solid. But the meaning of the dream is that those that mated carried the genes for streaked, spotted, and speckled. And God could see this, even though Jacob could not. And so not only Laban's flock did increase, but the proportions of those that were being born were not of a typical statistic. And then God reminded Jacob of the conversation at the ladder in which he had made the promises to Jacob to prosper and protect him, and God kept his promises. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. You know, there's an important concept for us to understand and receive here. And that is that there is a connection between receiving God's blessing and obedience to God's guidance. When we receive God's salvation and promises, we also receive God as the Lord of our lives. You see, our blessings from God come to us because of our relationship with God. And we cannot receive the blessings of God, for instance, salvation without God being the Lord of our life. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no option to ask him to be our savior without asking him to be our Lord. If he is our Savior, he is our Lord. If he is our Lord, he is also our Savior. At the latter, Jacob declared, the Lord will be my God. And now God has called him to go home. Then Rachel and Leah replied, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Has he not sold us? Now, that's an interesting choice of word, isn't it? Sold us. 
Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. You know, this is the first time we see Leah and Rachel in agreement. Isn't that wonderful? The birth wars are over. And particularly grievous to Rachel and Leah was the fact that their father had sold them into marriage and then devoured the proceeds. You see, the price of Jacob's 14 years of wages, the bride price, was supposed to be held in trust in the event that they were either abandoned or widowed. But rather than treating this payment like a dowry to provide a financial base for the daughter's well-being and future security, as should have been done, he devoured, Laban devoured it all himself. Laban was so disgustingly low that he robbed his own daughters and grandchildren. Now, the wives had confidence in Jacob that whatever God had told them to do, that was the thing to do. And it's a wonderful thing when one's family will bear testimony on their behalf. You know, Jacob was far from perfect, but in front of his wives and Laban and all who were there, he had tried to do what was right in the sight of God, to be a man of integrity and honesty. And because of that, they were ready to follow him. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram and to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, the Euphrates River, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. And so the decision has been made. He and his family are going to leave. But the question is, how shall he go about it? He probably reasoned that if he announced this purpose to Laban, that Laban might forbid his departure and might even strip him of his family and flocks. And that was confirmed in what Laban later said in verse 43. There may have been another aspect of his consideration as well, and that is knowing what God had called him to do and knowing that Laban would likely stand in the way, Laban would likely come under God's judgment And so perhaps Jacob was trying to save Laban from that judgment for the sake of his wives, who were the daughters of Laban. Sheep shearing in Mesopotamia was a springtime activity in which these large flocks necessitated large crews to be away for extended periods of time, and it would be a perfect time to escape. And so Jacob lost no time in preparing. He herded all of his flocks together everything that belonged to him, the camels for his wives and children to ride on. No doubt the servants were involved in putting it all together, and this entire assemblage was probably huge, which was quite a contrast as to the way it was when he arrived. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Now, you remember that Laban had sent part of the flock three days away with the sons. And that's probably where Laban was, and that's why it took three days for Laban to get the news that Jacob had been on the move. 
The words in verses 23 through 25, fled, pursued, overtook, pitched tents, are militaristic. That means that Laban was on the warpath. And this is confirmed again by the fact that they covered some 300 miles in only seven days. So they were traveling hard, which indicates that Laban and his family had no intention of letting Jacob take those flocks into Canaan and would take them by whatever force was necessary. Then God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream at night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And so God appears to Laban and makes it plain that Jacob is under his protection and following his orders. And though Laban didn't know uh, the God of uh, in the same way that, that Jacob did and that you and I do, he, he knew enough about God to know don't mess with God. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, probably the next morning, What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. And why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me? So I could send you away with joy and singing and the music of tambourines and harps. Yeah. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You've done a foolish thing. All right, so this scene must have been quite tense when Laban and the relatives show up, probably armed the next morning. And uh, Laban was still angry and bitter, and now he's frustrated because God's not going to let him do what he had set out to do. So he tries to get the upper hand by immediately rebuking Jacob for the way he had swiftly and secretly left, and he plays the part the phony part of a loving, wounded father who had just been sorely wronged. He says, I would have given you a party if you would just told me. I think everybody knew that he was lying. And, uh, but noting that his speech didn't produce the fear and the sorrow in his daughters and Jacob he had hoped to, he, he finally came honest. He said, I have the power to harm you. It's not there written, but I would add, and I intended to. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you've gone off because you long to return to your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? You know, if God had not come to Laban in that dream, there probably would have been violence. And Laban asked this question, why did you steal my gods? That gives him an excuse to be angry again. He was sure that the culprit was part of Jacob's family, and he, he was right. It was Rachel who did it, but Jacob didn't know it. And the fact that he is this distressed about it shows where his faith is, is in those little idols. Jacob answered, Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take my daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. He was so convinced that nobody in his family or in his employment would do such a thing. He allowed that that person, if caught, should die. And one of the laws of Hammurabi cite the theft of temple gods as a capital crime. 
And because he didn't know that Rachel had stolen these household gods, he unknowingly put Rachel under the sentence of death. Now, no doubt, Rachel was very frightened, but she kept her composure and contrived to hide these idols while Laban was making his search. So Laban went into the Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he found nothing. And after he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in her tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched, but could not find the household gods. Now, we will close out our time together right here and pick up right where we left off tomorrow here on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. We're continuing our look at Genesis, focusing specifically today in chapter 31. We thank you for taking a few moments and spending it with us here today. We trust you've been encouraged as we go through God's Word, specifically here in the book of Genesis. Questions and comments about our time together today can be directed to us if you'll visit our website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. You'll also find a lot of information about Church of the Highlands here in San Bruno there as well. Highlands.us. Tomorrow, Genesis 31. Join us then for Study Verse by Verse.